0: How are you doing there? Just a quickie before we start. On the Apple podcast, why don't you double click on David McWilliams Plus? It's right there when you open the podcast. You get ad free, you unlock early access. Just double click and away you go. David McWilliams Plus. You get this pure and simple.
1: This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you? Ed? I'm good. I'm suffering a little bit from imposter syndrome. Well,
0: well, go on.
1: <laughs> it's kind of it's kilconomics. So kilconomics is
0: Economics and comedy, and yes.
1: I'm, I'm neither one, I'm neither an economist You're better a economist. than
0: both, Johnny Boy, you're better than both.
1: It reminded me of uh, what Katie Martin said oh, yes. on the uh, podcast last week when she said, she was talking about Liz Truss, who never suffered from imposter syndrome, <laughs> <I know>. 44 <laughs> days in the job. Yeah. Uh,
0: no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you could say that a little about our, a lot of our politicians, I mean, there's fellowship talk economics in this country, where you do feel, have a little bit of imposter syndrome, yeah. just yeah, a yeah, little yeah, bit, yeah. you know? Yeah. But this is the first time we've taken the podcast outside the M50. So we're, you know, exactly. My father was one of these people who, you know, thought that the world didn't exist beyond Newland's Cross. He'd break out in a rash. And my mother's from Cork and we used to go down to Cork years ago. And it's amazing when you think about it. Five, adult, well, no, two adults, three kids and a dog in a mini. In a mini. Dad, yeah, yeah. yeah, Dad Cork, right? With the, with the, with an the Austin the, princess. Oh, well, that's when we go into market. Yeah. That's we, that was the very first evidence that Ireland was going the credit boom. The McWilliams has borrowed the car money. <laughs> but how are you doing, Ed? I'm good. I'm good. Listen, I was listening to what you were saying there. God love you. So let's talk about this.
1: Let's talk about this paradigm shift.
0: Yeah. And it's it really is one. Yeah.
1: So, so in the last, what, 15 years, we've had low interest rates, low taxes, low inflation, even deflation. Yeah. Uh, we've had globalization. We've had China emerging as a big powerhouse. We've had happy Germans using all the Russian gas. Happy all Germans. All that kind of stuff. But now, Mac, now all the yeah. talk is about the oh, cost well, of living crisis.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all, John, it's almost the opposite. So if you look at uh, economics through sort of big epochs, which I like pretend yeah. much prefer to do than look at like what happened last night or yesterday or, or whatever, uh, I think it's better to look at it over, you know, a 30- or 40-year span because that gives you a sense of what's going on in the world. So if you think beginning, let's say, with the fall of the Berlin Wall, you have this period where inflation begins to fall and fall very rapidly, largely, John, because the global workforce expands enormously because the Chinese enter the game. Yeah. So we're looking at basically the global supply of labour Going from three people to five worldwide, that of course has this deflationary impact. So that's the number one thing. Number two thing, of course, you have everyone's cozying up to Russia, so Russia is providing reasonably cheap energy for Western economies. Mm. So that, so, you, so you've got two trying sort of bringing of defla- them into the fold. Bringing them into the fold. You've got this sort of change. And I was there during the time between. You know, Yeltsin, first of all, Gorbachev, then Yeltsin, then Putin, and Putin was meant to go, but he stuck around, and then he's meant to go again, and he's around and around. But for us in the West, the impact was that the Russians were giving us cheap energy. The West was quite happy. And when I say the West, the Europeans were very, very happy Mm. to be. Friendly to the Russians. Not as friendly as Gerhard Schroeder in Germany, who took it to an nth degree. He took friendship very seriously, right? But he was a little too trusting. That he person. was a little bit too, he was very, very trusting. Yeah. You know, I think his pockets were just lined, in fairness. I think it's a much easier... Is uh, the he guy who ended up as Gazprom well, he's on a, the no, board, wasn't he? Or? he he's he, he's the guy who ended up Gazprom, but I think the best thing about him was he used to be called the Audi man in Germany. And I said to my German friends, why is that? I thought, you know, he must have driven an Audi, but... He was married five times, so he had five little rings, right? Brilliant. But the fucker married a sixth time, so they couldn't call so that's, like, so that's the deflation, right? And so that brings interest rates coming down. And I used to work in the city of London, you know, years ago, and the interest rates were coming down, inflation's coming down, energy prices are coming down. All the time, you have globalization expanding, 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 of which Ireland has done extremely well out of. That's the thing to to keep in the back of our heads. And then, of course, America and China are on very good terms. Yeah. And they're saying, the Chinese are saying to the Americans, we'll provide you with lots of cheap stuff. You buy the cheap stuff. You guys then will have a kick to your living standards. And the Americans say, well, what happens? We'll run a budget deficit. The Chinese say, don't worry, we'll buy all your paper. Right? So there's this thing that they were going to call Chimerica, which is... Yeah. I think uh, uh, Like one Brangelina. Those, like Brangelina, exactly, like Brangelina, right? So that's the world up until COVID. Yeah. That's the world up until COVID. I think since COVID, that world has completely and utterly changed. So the biggest change to Europeans is that Russia is now an elemental threat to mm. Europe, right? The war in Ukraine is, it was said last night, is the end of an empire. Yeah. And the beginning of a new country which is why I don't think the Ukrainians are going to like fold and do a deal. Mm. I think it'll be very, very difficult, right? So first of all, Russia has gone not only from being a friend and an ally, but to being an enemy, an explicit enemy, where the prospect of a further war is so evident that we, we'd be crazy to dismiss it. China has gone from being a friend to an enemy of the United States. And we are in the American camp, whether we like it or not. Mm. I largely like it, but I know some people don't, right? Crucially, crucially, though, inflation has emerged. And as inflation emerges, the rate of interest goes up from having been very, very low. And the thing about the rate of interest being very, very low is that when the rate of interest is zero, it means that almost every financial decision that is taken is wrong. Mm. Because you cannot value anything when the rate of interest is zero because your cost of capital is zero. So consequently, everything then becomes overvalued. Now, the most explicit example of that today is tech stocks, okay? Tech stocks are collapsing. Um, and I was actually, you know, I was reading on Twitter about people who work in Twitter and what's happening to their lives now is, you know.
1: Well, 50% of them have been laid off. Yes, today. today. And, and by the way, because I was looking at this as well, 90% of the workforce in Twitter, Asia have been laid off.
0: Which right. is just extraordinary. It is extraordinary. So you see you see what's happening. So all those tech companies, which are probably not they're not even a bellwether, but they're a leading indicator of what can happen in the real world, because that's not the real world. Yeah. That tech bro stuff is not the real world.
1: You yeah. know, it's, 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 not just it's a bellwether, it's a bell end. <laughs> <running> <laughs> but
0: anyway. Yeah, it's a it's some sort of bizarre combination of but I always say about like, like, like Bitcoin, like economics and Scientology put together. Yeah. And when you get Scientology, man, it's all weird. It's all weird. But if you think about all these, these, these things, these are indicative of the world changing. And when I say changing, moving from one status quo to another status quo. Yeah. So you can see it in valuations. You can see it in countries. You can see it in countries. Like, like what happened in the UK in the last couple of weeks I was I was explaining to again to Katie Martin about today. I said, you know, she said to me, I know we're in a really bad place, David. And I said, why? She goes, not only are you Irish not laughing at us, you're sympathizing now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's a paradigm shift. I <laughs> said, that's another paradigm shift. Right. I said, exactly. you're absolutely right, darling. And we will just stay for the whole weekend. You poor thing. Okay. <laughs> so what is happening is we've got a massive change in geopolitics. Yeah, we have a massive change in economics. We have a massive change in financing and the rate of interest stroke inflation. Okay, mm. look at them both together. And we have an unfortunate belief in the ability of central bankers to fix the problem.
1: Ah, the old central bank.
0: You may have been watching the late, late the other night, John. I know you're a real loser yeah. and you don't go out. But allegedly, Christine Lagarde.
1: Oh, your friend. You're a big fan, I know.
0: Big fan. She was asked by, by, by Ryan Tubberty a question that you would imagine that she would have been briefed beforehand. Uh, where did the old inflation come from, Christine? <laughs> yeah. And she goes she came out of nowhere. She goes, she actually, that's exactly what she said. She says, came out of nowhere. <laughs> now, like if you're in Kettler's pub and the fellow behind the bar says it came out of nowhere, that's grand. <laughs> I don't know. Then it's two pints and whatever you're having yourself. <laughs> But well, when the chief bottle washer of the ECB says it came out of nowhere, you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And you're this person who's supposed to fix this thing that came out of nowhere, you know? Uh, so those things. Those but in things fairness,
1: are... though, in fairness, though, inflation has been a bit of a shock. Initially, everyone was saying that it's just as a result of the pandemic, and it will all, yeah. you know, its supply chains are disrupted and all that kind of stuff, and that will all smooth out, and then inflation will will get, but of course, Ukraine and and Putinflation and all that kind of stuff has really kicked in. But let me ask you this, though, Mac. You know, it does seem to be quite sudden, in fairness, to Christine Lagarde. Yes. Uh, It didn't come out of nowhere, but But it it is quite sudden.
0: She could have said that. She could have said, look, it's actually to do with with the supply chain problems of as you said, John, you should have been on the late late
1: Yeah <laughs> I think I'm going, you go for have, her job you next should have, You
0: should have, when the call came through for the researcher And I've had the late late, late <laughs> i say hello he He'll said, say hello, it's John O'Toole here From the late late i like going, no, 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 I'm washing my hair that night
1: <laughs> but, go on. but these are all cycles, economic yeah. cycles High inflation, low inflation, all that kind of stuff yeah. But has, has it ever been So sudden I, well, In the way it has been now.
0: Well, it's interesting. Inflation, it, can, it has in, in 1973 and 74. A bit of history. We love a, a bit of history. A, history in the right? a little bit of history. Uh, you get inflation and our parents will remember that. And certainly even the grandparents will remember that. That you get this extraordinary spike up in energy prices. Exactly like what is happening now. And it was a result of a massive military mm. conflict between the Israelis on one side and the Arabs on the other side. Now, the, the West came in unambiguously in support of Israel, led by America, Britain, and then France. And, of course, the Arabs said, OK, if that's your game, what we're going to do is we're going to actually tighten the supply. John, you and I remember, because we were kids, that the, the, the worst thing you could ever do in the McWilliams household was leave on the immersion <laughs> and the second... I still check it from time to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> having a bath with your sisters, not at the same time, but after them, Yeah. right? And I, I always remember my, my favourite memory of, of that is the Rumble in the Jungle. The Rumble in the Jungle was a fight, a boxing match between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And it was on the last weekend of October of 1974 And my great
1: doco on that, actually.
0: My dad, as I I told you this before, uh, went down to Eddie Totterdell's rentals of TVs. Uh, This is when Irish people used to rent our TVs, remember that? And he got a colour TV. And we went home, and about five families on the road came in. And it was on the middle of the night, because it had had to be aired for American network TV at 10 p.m. New York time for maximum ad. So it was on... In Dunleary at about three in the morning, which was the most exciting thing in the world. I think your mom went out and bought a really big teapot for all the family. My like ma did, yeah. yeah, she did. She did. There's a big massive teapot. It's like one of those samovars there from yeah, yeah. Russia. <laughs> exactly. And but the worst thing anyway, and we all came and we watched, we watched the fight. Uh before I the fight, the worst thing was I came on the next day expecting to watch Tom and Jerry in colour, and my dad gave the fucking thing back. <laughs> I mean, how bad is that for a six year old kid? You told all your mates in national school, we got to call it TV, And a it, was like, it was
1: because he lost money on
0: the fight. It was probably, yeah, 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 yeah. But the fight is interesting for a variety of reasons. The one reason, in the context of what we're talking about here, is you ask, why was this fight, the rumble in the jungle, in Zaire? Mm. Okay. Now, why was it in Zaire? And this is exactly what's happening now was because the oil crisis precipitated an enormous transfer of money from oil-consuming countries like us to oil and commodity-producing countries like the Middle East. Yeah. But what happened is the money went into the Middle East, and the Middle East was a very underdeveloped economy. All the Middle Eastern economies were very, very small. So they couldn't spend all this lolly. So they said, okay, well, what do we do with all this lolly? What do we do with all this money? And those lovely people, American investment bankers... Mm. This is
1: before they would invest in things like Gulf and... This football is golf, there's football teams and Chelsea yeah.
0: and Newcastle and live golf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All that nonsense. But the money then went to the American banking system, and the American bankers said, "Well, hold on, where we where we lend this money? Ah, do you know, what we lend we lend it to really poor countries that produce commodities because yeah. their prices are going up as energy prices. So a fellow called Mobutu who did a very good line in leopard skin hats. Yes, he decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm a, I'm a proper dictator. I'm going to have either the Olympics, the World Cup, or the Heavyweight Boxing Challenge. So he went and talked to Don King, and they paid the purse. But the, the thing at the time was Muhammad Ali was coming out of retirement. Yeah. Okay? Muhammad Ali was 35 years old, right? Now, in boxing, or unless, you're of course, you're Tyson Fury, which is a totally different beast, right? Yeah. Being 30, 35 at that stage, he was against Foreman, who was 21, so the difference is the bookies oh, right, okay. The bookies stopped taking bets against Ali because everyone thought he was going to lose. And not only going to lose, he was going to be beaten because oh, yes. Foreman had actually hammered a guy called Ken Norton and a guy called Joe Fraser. Both of whom had hammered Ali. He yeah. had the biggest punch. He was the strongest guy. Mm. And he had this enormous punch that knocked out Fraser three times in one round. Okay? And Fraser was a big guy. So everyone thought that Ali, this would be his last fight, and he'd take the purse and go home but Ali kept saying no 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 I am the greatest and I'm gonna win people said yeah this is all you know this is all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah this is he this was is, brilliant he yeah, was yeah. one of the best orders. This, this is hip-hop you know yeah trash, yeah, yeah trash yeah. talking before McGregor okay yeah. and which was you know, when it was nice but it's proper funny stuff it was funny it was humorous yeah exactly anyway what happened was they get out into the ring and nobody could understand how can Ali go more than three or four rounds with this guy. This guy is going to kill him. They get into the, the ring, and everyone says, well, maybe, you know, if he could just go four or five rounds against this guy, maybe he could have a chance. Because you know, boxing is apparently very psychological. You know, it's, it's, hmm. it's a lot of it's psychological. Actually, so,
1: let me tell you about it. I'm a boxer myself. You, are, stage.
0: <laughs> you are. You are. The, you, he's the Adonis of Dunleary. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> Ali goes in, and at the beginning of the fight, they're all meant to be... You know shaping up against the Ali starts bouncing up and down against the ropes like this yeah. right and nobody can understand what the hell is he doing what the hell is he doing right he's bouncing up and down against the ropes now what he'd figured out was the following that the humidity in Kinshasa in Zaire was mm. so intense that it affected the flexibility of the rubber in the ropes and it made the rubber in the ropes more liable to dissipate the power because the ropes were more flexible mm. of the incoming punch. So Ali lay on the ropes and he started getting pummeled by Foreman. So everyone thought Foreman was going to kill him. But Foreman started to visibly tire. And you'll see Ali, if you actually watch the uh, the, the movies. going, is that all you got, Georgie? You is ugly and you're know, okay. So he's really getting on his nerves. But what happens, they'd figured out a way that if Ali lay on the ropes, he could dissipate the power of the punches through his body onto the ropes yeah. and out. It's quite a scientific, yeah. physics-based yeah. It was, it was, it idea. It was Angelo Dundee, right? Now, he used to call this, this is the great story, he called rope the dope, Yeah. right? He goes, you is a dope, okay? And then he wrote the dope. Now, the point was, his, the only way he could win this was if he could sustain enough power to the point where the very power that Foreman was hitting him with started to tire Foreman himself out more than Ali. And you see, if you watch the fourth round, the fifth round he starts to tire, the sixth round Mm. starts to, and in the seventh round, Ali knocks him out. And he knocks him out because he used his very strength against him. Now, the reason this intrigues me as a story is not just because it was located around the time that inflation mm. and energy. Oh, inflation. prices sorry. In yeah. energy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, John. Yeah. It's because Ali had a strategy yeah. going into that fight. And Ali understood that without a strategy, there's no way in the world he could win. Right. But with a strategy, yeah. he had a chance. Now, the reason that always appeals to me, that idea is that countries are the same if a country goes into a change in the global economy like the change we're going through now and if a country goes into that change and is aware of what's going on but doesn't decide hold on a second we need to change our strategy that country will get destroyed and what i've always said and it's, it's this idea that good countries can go bad yeah and the reason good countries can go bad is that good countries are only good or decent places to live because you make more right decisions than wrong decisions. So the reason for us now in Ireland, and you know in broader Europe, wherever your, your allegiances lie, is that we are now at that sort of four-man approach. That yeah. The world has changed and we've got to say, okay, well, what do we do about it? What is Europe going to do about this? You know, what you saw In Britain last week, Britain is a country without a strategy. And what is terrifying is that Britain could be everyone. Mm. There's there's nothing uniquely bad about Britain, but it's a country without a strategy that decided to go off on its Sweeney Todd and experiment. And the people who were lending money said, we don't believe you.
1: But wasn't this, I mean, this is something that we touched on before as well, is that the strategy they had was akin to the Dunning-Kruger effect.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Okay, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, well, that's... that's because
1: that, that, that sums up the, the British no, government. The t- and Liz Truss particular. It's,
0: it's very important for us to be aware of that in because everyone, this, this thing can happen to, it could happen to us too. You know, we could make it. Dunning-Kruger is... is <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> okay, in the, in the this, is, this is the more obscure uh, region of... 1975, I think it is Philadelphia. Yeah. A man goes into a, his camera's everywhere in a bank, and he holds up the bank with a gun, but he has no balaclava on
1: Hmm. or stocking or
0: anything. Stocking, and he then winks at the camera and walks off. (laughs) So the coppers arrive in and they say, and by the way, this guy's rather large, he's very, you'd notice this fella. Big, big guy. So the coppers arrive in, and the one behind the thing says, So that's your man, Mick, from down the road. He says, Where does he live? Oh, the second flat down there. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's around. I see him around the town. I see him in the off license every night. No, nice enough, fella. So the coppers arrive on his door, and Mick opens the door, and coppers say, We'd like to bag you for, that, uh, for robbing the bank. And Mick says, How did you know? I was wearing the juice. And the copper says, What do you mean you're wearing the juice, right? This guy was a genius, obviously, and he had thought... Do you remember when we were in, in school, you could have in, invisible ink, right? And the yeah. invisible ink, if you put lemon juice on the invisible ink, right, you could actually wipe out all the ink, right? So he thought that if he put lemon juice on his face, he'd wipe his face out, okay, and his face would go invisible. And it was during the time The Invisible Man was on television. That's right, right? One of my favourite programmes. Yes, John was that guy, okay. <laughs> and so... He, he winked at the camera because he thought he was invisible. And uh, so this was a story. People got a bit of a laugh. At, but some psychiatrist looked at it, a psychologist looked at it and said, now isn't this very interesting? This is indicative of an idea that we see all the time in the world, which is the truly incompetent always overestimate their competence. So people who really have an Arashers think they're geniuses. Yeah. And it's actually much more prevalent in men than women.
1: Right. Right? Right.
0: Very much so, right?
1: No, oh, it is. But I thought they were going to change this to the Liz Truss effect now. No,
0: no, no. <laughs> but it's much more prevalent. And that's the sort of thing that happened in the UK. And I do believe, you know, the Boris Johnsons, the Brexiteers, and all those people, it's, it's the Dunning-Kruger, ultra-extreme male, ridiculous notion that you know more than you do, and you can just bluff your way through yeah. it. And if you see in policy... You know these these guys, they were Liz Truss and her friends, were regarded as people who understood the markets. This is their whole thing. We believe in market fundamentally. They had no rushers. What was going on? Mm. And we saw what happened. You know that 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 their government collapsed because of the Dunning Kruger. Now my point is that what economics, global economics, tells you the most important lesson is humility. Yeah. That the global economy, I've always thought you know from listening to the podcast i think it behaves like an evolutionary system much more like biology than physics even though most of economics believes it's physics and that's what i i grew up learning and i studied and then i ended up teaching in university and then over time i thought no this looks much more like biology to me and what i mean is that the the, the economy evolves and products evolve and people evolve and we adapt and we change and we move on and, and one of the, one of the basic ideas of all evolutionary biologists is that evolution is cleverer than you yeah right (laughs) that basically you can't really change what's going on but you can just adapt to it yeah but there's always something clever and and i think that you know in ireland now if we are going from this one state of the global economy to another state i think it's important for us to start to think of adapting to it changing because you know, one thing that has been brilliantly revealing and I think unbelievably positive in John and our lifetimes, now that we're 110 between us, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: which is kind of shocking. Soon to be
1: 111.
0: <laughs> Soon to be 111. I think what is, is the fantastic change in our country. Most of it, we'll talk about some of the negatives, but most of it largely positive. And most of it, I, I believe, you know, a, a matter of some strategy, some luck, Luck is hugely important. Yeah. And the fact that, and I've always said it, that we became a liberal, tolerant, kinder, more open society. So what I'm saying is that we had geopolitics, which was on our side, which was the multinationals, Mm. the cheap energy, the opening up of supply chains, all that sort of stuff that we could fit into it, but never underestimate the power of the local dynamism and tolerance and liberalism. And it sounds really sappy, but love, just saying to people, we love you. Stay here. It's yeah. okay. It's okay to be nurtured. Nurture. And, and I think that these are the sort of things that we've got to think about in this next ten years, you know. Yeah. To to have that strategy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze.
1: Let's move on a little bit, and, and staying with Ireland, because there's, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. I was reading during the week, the recent Exchequer returns came in. Oh, yeah. And as dull as they are, I did find myself <laughs> reading them going,
0: wow, like, what's going God, on here? what happened like, to John? John used to sit me down when we were kids and say, listen, <laughs> you won't believe it, man, in a, in a week's time, David Bowie is going to you know, release yeah. you know, this. Now he's saying, do you know the Exchequer returns? <laughs> what I have know. I done to you? you? See, I know
1: it's the last three years of this podcast. I have I be, become it's, an economics student under the tutelage of you, Professor I <laughs> <You poor laughs> Look what
0: you've done to me! I know. Oh, it's the, These are the great chat up lines you have in the bars now. Hi, <laughs> I'll tell you about this. cheque returns.
1: <laughs> but he, here's my question. Here's what, I have a couple of questions. One is there has been a surplus, or there up until the end of September, the surplus in cheque returns was seven point nine. Billion, euro, yep. which is enormous, enormous, and you know the tax revenue is nearly sixty billion. All that kind of stuff. So yep. it seems weird to talk about cost living crisis in the context of these massive returns. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying before about decisions being made and people making good and bad decisions. Seven point nine billion is something that could be ploughed into the HSC or the thing that we always go on about,
0: is housing. Housing, yeah. Well, the the interesting thing about about economics is it's it's, it's counterintuitive, Mm. right? So sometimes when you think black, it actually ends up being white. So the reason the exchequer returns are so high now is precisely because of the cost of living crisis. Mm. So the exchequer returns are... If you have very, very low inflation, you're going to have very, very low exchequer returns because all they are is tax revenue. When inflation starts to rise, the actual tax revenue in euros starts to rise. So you're probably better to deflate the exchequer returns for dollars to see actually what's happening. So what you actually see is that when you're in a sort of inflationary boom, as we are at the moment, Mm. everything is effervescent, right? Everything's kind of bubbly. And so tax revenue comes in, et cetera. And, of course, one of the dilemmas in Ireland is that when we have a budget deficit, we really know what to do. So if the target is to cut, we know how to cut. But when you have a, a large yes, so, for example, during the last downturn, you know, there, was any, there was even a thing called board snip that economists took, like, some sort of pride in being a part of. Yeah. So we cut that, and we cut this, and it's macho. When, you, when you're given the also the, almost the manna from heaven of having a surplus what you find is that economists tend to run out of ideas. We're, we're almost programmed. It's a bit like the Dunning-Kruger in reverse. We're programmed <laughs> yeah. to be negative and to say, oh, Jesus, that, that, that surplus will disappear. It's all over. I, I take the opposite view. I just think that... So, at the moment, the economy has a huge, huge amount of surplus cash in it, and the tax takes is enormous, and we have a choice what to do with it, yeah. right? Now I believe that what we should do is put it into a sovereign wealth fund, right? And 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 a bit like the Norwegians do. But you know this this this. And this, what
1: would you do with that then? How but would you that see,
0: look? so look, so for example, you take you take what is happening right now with all these tech stocks that are falling, all the stock markets that are falling, et cetera. This is going to be a reasonably short-lived thing, right? Okay. And what I mean by that is inflation will, at some stage, begin to moderate. Even now, I believe, gas prices in Europe are beginning to fall quite rapidly. And the reason is the following, this is the idea that they say in energy markets that the cure to high prices is high prices. And what they mean by that is that what happens in energy markets when the price of oil goes above $100 a barrel, lots and lots of oil production, gas production, or whatever it happens to be, that was unbelievably unprofitable to drill for becomes much more profitable. Yeah. So what you see is you see a massive increase in supply, but that comes later. So the, the consequence of increases in oil prices tends typically to be gluts in energy, not scarcity, mm-hmm. a couple of years later. So I think what you're going to find is that the, the rate of inflation will fall as energy prices fall, maybe even quicker than people think, right? Now, if that happens, it's always this idea of when is the moment to buy assets? Yeah, And it always struck me that, The moment to buy assets is when they are extremely cheap, not when they're expensive. That's the basic idea of how to get reasonably well off. Kind of obvious, though. Well, it it is kind of obvious, but you look at the Irish state; we do the opposite. So, for example, the Irish state bought Stripe at ninety-two dollars. Okay, Stripe now maybe is worth seven dollars a share, right? The Irish state, when we had zero interest rates, didn't borrow for houses. They're going to borrow now when interest rates will be at four or five percent. So, I mean, there is a sort of a madness and. You know, it's, it's this is that a central bank thing or a government thing? No, I'll tell, you what it, I'll tell you what it is. It's what I call, John, good room thinking. Right, right, okay. I don't know if you remember, we in our family had a good room.
1: Yeah, so did we, actually. Yeah, and our good room was... With a case of kind of silver and Delph and stuff that was never
0: touched. Uh, never touched, never touched. touched. My granny had a good room in West Cork, okay, that was, was so good that I wasn't good enough to go into it. So, like, it was good for other people, but our family wasn't good enough. And after mass, she ran a little pub as well. And after mass on a Sunday, when we used to go down there for, for summer, because we were kind of, basically, we were just deployed down to our granny for the whole summer. But I remember on a Sunday morning, the good room would be opened. And there was a big ceremony, big key. And we walk into the good room. And in the good room, there'd be Waterford cut glass. Yeah. Right? And that side. And then there'd be what I would call a bragging wall right? And on the bragging wall were relations who went to university, right? And there was one lad, okay, in a big mortar board, right? And to this day, we've no idea who he was, right? <laughs> Having a rash, like granny bought it in a sale of work, some fella from New Zealand or something. And, and it was myself and my three cousins, I have, I have, I have triplet cousins, right? Who were known as the three twins, right? Because they're... Actually, real triplets in the 60s, born. And the people in Balavornie, it's, this, it's, it's, it's a little Irish-speaking village down in West Cork, that they couldn't get their head around triplets. So they were called the three twins. Come here, la. She goes, three twins, lay. OK? And there, are, there are people that my mother describes as incomprehensible in two languages, right? <laughs> and so we'd be down there, and, 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 and th- after Mass, the Good Room be open for the good people. The whole point of the Good Room, John, was that my granny was pretending to be rich and the really rich people were pretending that she was. Mm. And that's how the status quo in rural Ireland maintained itself. So the rich people said, oh yes, we know. We know that you guys drink out of Waterford glass every day. We, know, we do know that clearly. And you sit around here and we know that that person over there is actually one of your relations uh, from the UCD or UCC. So it was this pretense, right? It was this idea that we aren't good enough. Mm right? Now that good room thinking has gone in Ireland in terms of our grannies and things but the mentality that we're not quite good enough remains and the only place it remains is within the civil service. It doesn't remain out in the street, it doesn't remain in the private sector, it remains the people who are making policy decisions and the thing about making policy decisions is you do have to upset some people, right?
1: right. So come the on. idea
0: is, you know, for example, if we come back to what do we do with the surplus? I think we should follow the Norwegian idea. Buy up, when they're cheap, but also knowing that you're never going to be too clever, that you get it right all the time, but buy up the stocks of the multinationals who actually are here and have a parallel wealth fund. Now, what that does is the Norwegians use that as a pension fund for Mm. older people. I think we should... They're financed
1: keep... for 300 years or something. They
0: are, fine, yeah. so it's a very good place to get old. Yeah. But there's a whole life before you get old, right? And, and I think what we should have is a startup fund. So one of the dilemmas for all societies as we go into this new world is how do we become more flexible, yeah. more adaptable, yeah. less entrenched in our views, and less clinging on to old ways of doing things. And the best way to do that is to actually create a much more entrepreneurial culture where people back themselves in small companies now the dilemma for most young irish people trying to start on their own is not the idea is not the market because we can export it's access to capital yeah because the banking yeah. system will not lend so the banks will only lend to you if you have a house down the road and they can take that house as collateral if you lose your job so that's yeah right so the idea would be to use that part of that wealth fund you know we're, we're talking you know seven eight billion euros a year becomes material after a while turns into a lot of money yeah. use that wealth fund for every single individual in this country in order to use as collateral so you can't how just, does that work then so you I- can't just go down to clears and blow it all right yeah yeah although that would be very attractive okay we, we might do that later but So what you would do is if people came up with a good idea, right, but they had no capital, they could pledge the shares in the wealth fund against that. Yeah. So it completely, for the banking system, de-risks the person. Right. So the person goes bust, the idea doesn't work, the bank then has the shares in Apple or whatever it happens to be, right? So therefore, for the bank manager, it's a sort of an easy win. You de-risk it, you create the capital. The idea is that you take the capital from the inert capital in a fund Mm. to make it live. And it's by making it live that you give people the chance to actually express themselves and create new things. And then it's much more likely that society is going to be flexible in the face of all these economic sort of missiles that are going to come in at us, as as we've articulated, because we're moving from this phase to that phase. And what it also does is it completely changes the psychology of the yeah. nation. And once you change the psychology of the nation, there's no going back.
1: But So, so is the problem then that just in the decision-making process where, you know, you're saying that we missed the, the boat when it came to borrowing to sort out our but, housing yeah, yeah. issue when, when interest rates were, were zero. But, was, was just afraid that... Are people like the, the civil servants or the central bankers afraid that they're going to fuck up, basically? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, fucking up is a big fear. Oh, no, general, uh, absolutely a... it is, but no, it shouldn't be the... No, it shouldn't be. No, they're just, they just don't have the experience. I mean, you know... The, the, well, how do you get the experience? Well, this is what I'm saying. So rather than decide there's going to be some overarching sort of... Genius, you know, I think the Greeks used to call him the you know the, the warrior sage, right? Yeah. Give the money to people and let them decide. The, the whole idea of a wealth fund should be it should be for the people. Not for the people when we retire, but for the people when they're young. I mean, people need money much more when they're 21 than when they're 71.
1: Right. As a general of course, idea, right? Absolutely. And
0: they can work and they so 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 this is this is what I think we could try to think about is Really using what's going on in the world to, you know, it's it's the rope, the dope strategy. It's to come back to Ali. It's to say, we're going into battle here. Okay, we're a small country. We don't have, we're not muscular. We don't have an army. We are dependent on people. We're not price makers. We're price takers in most things. However, we're going to make a few little small decisions here. And those small decisions here are going to create a totally different type of society, but a different type of society that doesn't threaten anyone. That's the key, Mm. that you're not threatening people. One of the the dilemmas with big ideas is they tend to be based on the, well, you're going to get this, you're going to get this, somebody is threatened and then we all... Like the Northern Ireland thing, that's the thing to avoid at the plague, right? So it strikes me that these types of ideas... Are the types of ideas that can profoundly change generations of people. And, and they're not that difficult. And the risk is very low hmm. because the surplus we talk about is a windfall. By definition, a surplus is because you didn't fucking expect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like finding a fiver in a pub. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it is it's the economic equivalent of bending down and saying, gee, there's 50 euros. Yeah. Then you've got the choice do you give it back or do you put it in your pocket? It's up to you. But do you see what I mean? It's, 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 it's serendipitous. Yeah. And that's what I think we should be trying to do here because what I always think about Ireland is, with the exception of housing, housing is the big issue, we have got a lot of things right in the last 30 years in comparison to our peers, but I think it was much more important in comparison to where we came from. Yeah. I'm always going back to the 80s in my head and where we were and how so many people emigrated and how people just didn't have anything. So where we came from is profoundly important. Well, it's
1: important. happening again. I mean, it is happening you're, again. you're Lucy, my Maggie, you yeah. know, I'm but it's, sure it's, it's my happening. Izzy and everyone else is going to head off. And, and one moment. of the
0: things is housing and we need to fix that by absolutely identifying that's the number one priority. Yeah. And also having the courage to make the simple idea that when you walk around Kilkenny or certainly Dublin or any town and you see dereliction, that is indicative of a destroyed system because there you have assets. I've always said dereliction is a function of wealth, not poverty, because only the truly wealthy can allow an asset in a housing boom to degenerate like that. And what you basically have to do is make that expensive, make the use of land expensive. So by making land expensive, again, counterintuitively, what it does is it makes people bring that land into use because not using the land is what it'll actually cost you. So if we have what's called a site value tax on all land, not agricultural land, but all urban land, what you will find is that it will cost you to leave that site fallow. It will cost you to leave that site go derelict. So all that unsightly urban destruction that we see in Ireland would, at a stroke, become expensive. That would focus the minds of the people who own that mm. and at the same time encourage people to do that stuff. up. So use the tax system to identify what the problem is. The interesting thing about the site value tax is the one tax in the world that almost all economists agree is a good one which is why it's never been done, right? <laughs> okay. yeah. But, you know, so uh, by doing those sort of small things are not big things. Well, it's,
1: the, it's, it's what we've always said is that the, 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 the greatest impediment to Irish economic growth is housing. It's not, it's not so much finance, it's, not, no. it's, it's housing, and, and John, sorting our housing.
0: But John, the thing is that these things are fixable and the only reason you have permanent problems is people don't care enough. Yeah. It's not that they don't care they don't care enough and it strikes me that you get this right you try and create something out of the surplus something material and you're kind of on your way again you're making all the right decisions Mm. but I think the British experience in the last couple of weeks should be cautionary for us and the cautionary lesson is that our neighbor which was much bigger much stronger and 40 years ago, miles ahead of us on every metric, has, because of very bad decisions, made progressively by a more out-of-touch, bizarre, at the end of the day, elite, Mm. okay, actually all went to Oxford, and all went to Eton, right, has turned into a country that actually doesn't know what it's doing. And when you don't know what you're doing, like our friend Ali and you go into the ring, because the global economy is the ring, Yeah. if you don't know what you're doing, you'll get slapped down but if you know what you're doing you have a chance and we just got to give ourselves a chance indeed thank you